0: Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Sweet passage. Bless the Lord. Hebrews 2 14 through 18. Sermon title today is Reasons for Christ's Incarnation. Reasons for Christ's Incarnation. Would you bow with me and we'll pray our way into the sermon. Father in heaven, uh, we are weak, but you are strong. We pray that we would know your strength, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Gospel, in our midst, in our minds, in our souls, even now. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon lost sinners who have wandered in among us today. Thank you that in your providence you brought them in. In your mercy and grace you brought them in. Open blind eyes, give life to sin-deadened hearts. May people here today believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. Many of us have, Lord Jesus, we're your people, we want to bring you blessing and glory and honor and praise, but again, we are weak, but you are strong, strengthen us with might in our inner man today, that we might be people of your possession, people for your praise, that we might do all the will of God as revealed for us in scripture, that we might bring you glory and honor, blessing and praise. So make your word strong in our church today, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Again, we're looking at reasons for Christ's incarnation. Now here's why the author's doing that. Here's why, here's why he wrote that text, and this text is about that. So, as in their day, so in our day, as in our day, so in their day, the gospel is preached. And... When the gospel is preached, according to the Lord's parable in Matthew chapter 13, the four soils, it's like anytime you hear the gospel, somebody is sowing it. Somebody's sowing it to you. It might be one-to-one at Panera having coffee. It might be in an assembly and a preacher's preach, but you're hearing the gospel. And when you hear the gospel, the devil was active. He's going to be in our text. And when you hear the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit is active. And there are four types of hearts, four types of soils, four ways we might respond to and receive the preaching of the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So soil number one, and this is, this is probably some of you, oh, don't let it be you. Soul number one is described by you're like the path and the seed falls on the path and the path is hardened because everybody's been walking on it. And so the seed doesn't go in. And so there's an immediate turning away. No, I don't believe that. I don't want that. I don't want Jesus Christ. I do not believe. That's one response to the word of God. That's one response to the gospel. Oh, by the grace of God, may that not be yours. But there's a second response in the Lord's parable. And that's That's the soil that's sown, the seed that's sown in rocky ground. So here the, the roots go in a little bit, but it's rocky ground. It's not good ground, and so the roots don't go deep. And this person doesn't continue. The Hebrews needed to continue. We need to continue. This person does not continue. They do not hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. And somewhere down in life, they let go. And then there's the third soil, and that's the soil sown among thorns. There's thorny ground. And so the seed goes in and a little bit of life appears to spring up, but it's quickly choked out by the thorns and there's no real life there. There's no fruit born unto everlasting life. The person's not saved. They don't continue following Jesus Christ. And then there's the good soil and the seed of the word of God. The gospel goes in deep and sends down roots deep into your soul and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are saved, and your sins are washed and forgiven, and you have new life in you by the Holy Spirit who indwells you, and you persevere, and you continue, and you'll never walk away from Jesus Christ. Sometimes we won't recognize who the second and third soils are to the last day. There are people who believe they are in Christ all the way down to the last day, only to find out they were not. That's in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says, On that day, many, how many? many? Many, not just a few, one here in a thousand, one there in a million. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not? And they'll roll out their grocery list of their accomplishments in the name of Christ. And he will say those awful words, depart from me, I never knew you. So it's possible to believe you're a Christian for a while, but you're only a professor, not a possessor, and you find that out in time in your life. It's possible that you're a professor, but not a possessor. You're not really regenerate, and you don't even find that out to the last day. The author of Hebrews is dealing with people like us. He's dealing with a congregation like us, some of whom have already left Christ. They had professed faith in Christ. They were not regenerate, or they could never have left him. The seed of God would have remained in them. The Spirit of God would have continued to incline them toward faith and repentance. They would have kept on believing. He would have kept them by his own power. But they had professed Christ but walked away. Others, he's writing to, are in danger of walking away. They're dabbling with going back to Judaism. They're dabbling with going back to the old covenant and the old law. And others were strong, and he wants to secure them and keep them strong. So he's speaking to all these people, some who have left, some who are in danger of leaving, some who are strong, and he wants to keep them strong. I believe every one of us here has just been talked about. Every one of us has been described. We're in one of those soils. We're in one of those categories. Which are you? Oh, may you, by the grace of God, be the good soil that receives the word of God, and it goes in deep. And it transforms you by the grace of God from the inside out. But some of these people were complaining. Part of their complaint was why did Jesus have to come and die? What good did his death do? He's just a dead man now. They're counting later in the book, they're counting his blood as covenant, the blood of his covenant that's common, pardon me, and they're trampling underfoot the Son of God. They're throwing him down in the dirt and walking over him and saying, it's just a dead rabbi. I'm going back to Moses. I'm going back to the law. In our day, there are other things people go back to. I'm going back to the world. I'm going back to my beloved sins. I'm going back to the world's philosophies. They're taking me captive. I'm going back to, you can name all the current things going on in our culture. I feel to draw all those things. I'm going to those things, not the Bible, because the Bible is against those things that are in our culture. There are people in our day going back. Oh, may you not go back if you profess faith in Christ. So reasons for Christ's incarnation, Hebrews 2, 14. Why did he have to come? Here's why. Since, therefore, the children, that's you if you're in Christ, you're children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Since then, the children share in flesh and blood. All right, is he doing good so far? Are you agreeing with him so far? Yeah, we all, we share in flesh and blood, right? I'm hoping everybody here who looks like flesh and blood really is. Are are you really? Like, don't scare me. Just pinch yourself. Did you feel that? All right, you're flesh. Look at your blood vessels. I can really see mine in the back of my hand. They're purple. Yeah, I got blood flowing. I'm flesh and blood. You're flesh and blood. That's what he's saying. Since we are human, human designated by flesh and blood, since then he himself jesus christ the son of god he himself likewise in the same manner as we so he he partook of the same things what things real flesh real blood was jesus really human yes This is a key passage on that. He was really human, and yet, go back to chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and he was really divine. He's the God-man, Jesus Christ. The two natures perfectly commingled in one person. And he is God-man forever. He was raised in a glorified body and will be in it forever and ever. The mystery of the incarnation. God made us in his image, and then he came and inhabited our humanity. He himself likewise partook of the same things. Why? Why did he have to come? Why couldn't God just forgive everybody and forget it? Why'd there have to be a sacrifice? Why'd there have to be an atonement on the cross? Why? Here's why. And there are going to be a number of things why. Here's why number one. That through death, he had to die to accomplish this thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. He came to defeat the devil. He came to destroy, not annihilate. The devil will always exist in hell for most of, for, for most of time and all of eternity. Um, but Christ came to destroy the devil. He had to die to destroy the one who has the power of the death, that is the devil. So we are the children. We have flesh and blood. He had to come like us in real flesh and blood so that he could die in our place, the just for the unjust, so that he could offer himself a vicarious, sin-bearing atonement for humans, for sinners. He had to come in flesh so that in redeeming us, part of what he had to do was defeat the devil in our lives. Now, without getting into all the weeds of exactly what the words mean, where it all goes, what he's talking about is the devil had, and still has to a limited degree, had power over you. Are you aware of that? Some of you were raised in godly homes and you heard the gospel from your earliest days and you were taken to church from your earliest days. But even you know there were times when you were doing the work of the devil, treating your brother that way, talking to your mama that way. You know you were doing the work. That's how children do the work of the devil right? Rebelling against their authority, making your poor mama cry. That was terrible. So you know something about the power of the devil. It was active in your life. Others of us who came to Christ later, 17, we know much more of the power of the devil in our lives, how much we were doing the will of the devil. Let me read you some about where we were before Christ 1 John 5.19. 1 John 5.19. John teaches us the whole world, we were in it, we were, we were the world, lies in, understood the power of the evil one. That's where you were. If you're not in Christ, that's where you are. God in his word is telling you that's where you are. Why is the world such a mess? Why is our land such a mess? Why are these awful things happening? That's why. It's a spiritual battle. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world, God, little g, under God who is sovereign and has all authority and all power, but permits Satan to act permits him to do things. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. True? I was blinded 17 years, total pagan darkness, blinded. We have four sons and a foster son, son number three and his wife, Neither one of them is in Christ. Neither one of them believes on the Lord Jesus. We talk about it sometimes. I try not to do it all the time, you know. I don't, don't want to be that guy. But we got to talk about things sometimes, and I'm, I'm at least glad they're not atheists. They're agnostic. Maybe there's a God. All right, I'll take that. We can work with that. But they're not in Christ, and it breaks my heart. And The older they get and the older I get, the more it breaks my heart because we're getting close to you know, the end. Why, why do they not believe? It's even worse. So that son was raised in the home of a pastor, the home of a preacher, where there has been much gospel light through his first 18 or so years. And the Bible says, to whom much is given from the same one, much will be required like one of the worst places to come from and go to the last day is without Christ, is where there's much light. Is a preacher's home, a pastor's home. Oh, my son, may he and his wife believe on the Lord Jesus. But the God of this world has blinded, has blinded their minds. They can look at the heavens that declare the glory of God, and they don't see any glory of God. They just don't see. Or Ephesians 2, 1 through 12, he describes us as dead. I should have left that word in there. Dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Take everything that's evil and ugly and nasty in our world, and why is it there? Because the world lies under his sway. It's the devil working in our world. He is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, those who reject Christ, those who are far from Christ, those who deny Christ. May it not be you. John 12, 31, he's called the ruler of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Why did Christ have to come incarnate? To free you from the devil, to deal with the devil's power in your soul. He died as substitutionary atonement so that you might receive grace and life through him and the spirit of God may come to dwell in you and you're regenerated and you're a new creature in Christ and the devil no longer has such power as he once had over you. Christ came incarnate to do that. That's why he had to come. And there's more purpose. Hebrews 2.15, please. Hebrews 2.15. Dry mouth today. Oh, that's so good. Hebrews 2.15. And here's another thing Christ had to come for. He came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Come on, tell the truth. Was that you? Were you terrified by the prospects of death? I was I, had, I really had, and maybe to some extent still have, a, a too active imagination, and the terrible monsters that I imagined lived in our basement, and at, and at night, it's when they were really active, and at night my dad would send me down, go down and get the flashlight, well I want to have the, you know, and man, the way I would creep down those stairs, and the second part of the basement was still dark, that's where they really lived, and oh man, I was terrified of monsters. I was also terrified of death. Is anybody in here ever terrified of death? Yeah, the Bible says you were, through fear of death, all your life you were subject to lifelong slavery. To be fair, I don't look forward to various possibilities of how I might die, right? Amen? Like it might not be a very pleasant experience and the unpleasantness might last for a while. You can think of all kinds of possibilities there. I won't even name them. So it doesn't say you'll no longer be concerned about what you might have to go through. No, it's not that. You're you're legitimately concerned about that. But what's on the other side of death? Now you love. Because what's over there? Well, you get to see and be with him whom you love supremely, and you're made holy, and so done breathing, done sinning, good riddance to sitting. and though you're sown in dishonor, and the dishonor part might endure for a while, and we don't look forward to that, but you're raised in glory. There's glory over there. And there's a new heavens and a new earth, and you're in a new glorified body in the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells, the idea there, permeates, it's everywhere, it's all righteous. And you're fixed by the grace of God never to sin again. And the book of Revelation tells us no more tears and no more sorrow and no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah? Amen. Why did Christ have to die? Well, that's what he did for you in his death. So that Paul can say in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, and to die is, y'all say it, to die is gain. Got my ledger out. Here's the lost column. Here's the prophet column. Which column do I put my death in? Prophet. It's in the prophet. It's in the good side. Maranatha, come quickly. Lord Jesus, the great John Calvin writes here in his Hebrews commentary, we are not freed from death, but we are freed from the fear of death. The great Martin Luther, he who fears death or is not willing to die is not sufficiently Christian. Paul in first Corinthians fifteen fifty four, death is swallowed up in victory. The worst thing is turned into victory. John Owen, the great Puritan theologian of the 1600s, he was the the prince of the theologians in those days. He was the best of the best. And one of his most famous works is called The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. Christ died to kill death. Your death without Jesus Christ. Death ushers you now into the very presence of the God who made you, whom you love supremely. Death, an old hymn says, is but our entrance into glory. Death is a door that swings open and there is eternal bliss and glory and joy on the other side. Why would you fear that? No fear of death. Are you not a believer? and you're here today. It's good that you're here today. I'm so thankful. It must mean there's still something in your soul that might be open to considering Jesus Christ. Maybe you're thinking, I'll give church another look. Maybe there's something in this. And and you're wondering, all right, if I become a believer, what would that mean? Well, it would mean a whole lot of things. It would mean you have everlasting life. means your sins are forgiven. means you'll go to heaven and not hell. That's pretty good. But it also means that you will be delivered from the fear of death. Death won't be a door that opens to the unknown. Death won't be a door that might open to hell. Death will be a door that opens to glory. And you can rejoice in it and be thankful for it. Some of you all remember about a year ago, actually I have no idea how long was it. It's terrible. I have no memory for how long things are in the past. That part of my brain does not exist. So just humor me. About a year ago, my dear mama died. She died in Christ. And I had about... And it endured this way. I had about 99% joy and an occasional little pang of sorrow. Because she's in glory. Bless the Lord. So, why did he have to come? To deal with the devil, to wrestle you out of the devil's hands, to bring you out of the kingdom of darkness and into his marvelous light. Thank God Christ came. So he came to destroy the one who had the power of death. He came to free his people, his followers, from fear of death. Now another reason, Hebrews 2.16. This will be the last reference to angels. Chapter 1, a lot of angels. Chapter 2, a lot of angels. Because they were thinking of going back to the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant was delivered by the hand of angels. Angels. Whereas in this new covenant with Christ, there were no angels. It's just the rabbi. He's dead now. His blood's common. Well, we trample him underfoot. So that's where the angels play him. And so he says, he's bringing up angels again. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Christ did not die for angels. For the fallen angels, and there's some great number of them, but we don't know the number. For the fallen angels there's no forgiveness, there's no pardon, there's no redemption, there's only judgment and wrath and hell for the fallen angels. God is just in offering them no salvation. He doesn't owe it to them. They don't deserve it. He's not giving it to them. It's not angels that Christ came to help. Just forget your angel thing here, Hebrews but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And the offspring of Abraham, Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, is Christ and those who are Christ's. So he helps you if you're in Christ. He didn't come to help angels. He came to help you. To help me what? To help me to be freed from the fear of death. To help me to be freed from the power of the devil. To help me to receive Jesus Christ as my God and Savior. To help me believe and be saved. To help me Deal with temptations and the difficulties of life. He came to help the offspring of Abraham. Thank God, Lord Jesus, you're my help. It's not help me, me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only help. No, it's Jesus. Jesus, you're my only help. A very present help in time of trouble. Don't you love that phrase? Hmm, if I live another 30 years, and that could happen. I'd be 100, I'd be 99. If I live another 30 years, you think I might run into some trouble in life here and there? Probably. How am I going to deal with that? Is that fearful? No, I have a very present help in time of trouble. What does very present mean? I thought either you're present or you're not. I don't think present admits of degrees. What's that very part? It's just put in there for emphasis. When one of his blood-bought children is in trouble, he is there. He's there with you to help you and your souls. So don't complain in unbelief. I don't get it. Why did he have to come? This is why he came, to help you. Next, Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. Here again, he calls us brothers. We saw that last week. He had to be made like them in every respect, human, truly human, fully human. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus Christ came to be a merciful high priest to you and to be a faithful. You could depend on him, he will always do what he says high priest to you. And and here's what he'll do as high priest. Here's the best part of that. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. What is a propitiation? It's a good Bible word. Learn it. It's one of our good, sturdy, meaty, weighty theological words. Learn it. You're smart people. Learn the word propitiation. Use it 10 times during lunch at the table this afternoon. Propitiation. What is a propitiation? To propitiate is to satisfy the righteous demands of another or to satisfy the just anger. It is to satisfy the justly incensed God and his wrath over our sins. And Jesus Christ came, you might put in the word, to appease the Father. He offered himself in our stead and appeased the Father, propitiated the Father, completely satisfied the Father in our behalf. The Father looks at me in Christ, and he is satisfied. He is pleased. The sweet aroma of Christ's sacrifice enters his divine nostrils, and he is pleased. I say it reverently, in Christ you smell good to God. You smell good. You have the perfume of Christ all over you. He's going to say later, jump ahead with me, slide man. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. In every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was in every respect to, well, Jesus Christ didn't face the exact temptation. No, temptations go in categories. There's the lust of the flesh. There's the lust of the eyes. There's the pride of life. Pretty much every temptation fits under one of those categories, and he has dealt with all of those. He's faced fierce temptation with the devil, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and then being tempted by the devil in that weakened state. Angels had to come and minister to him later. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Somebody complains. Humans like to complain. Somebody complains. Yeah, but he was God. And so it was easy for him to resist temptation. He just put God power against that temptation. He was God, so he couldn't sin. How many of you are theologians? What's the term that is used right there? The term is the impeccability of Christ. You know that term? The impeccability of... What's that mean? He could not give in to temptation because he's God. He could not. So you say, well, it wasn't real temptation. How does he really understand what I'm going through? Oh, contraire. Listen, the one who endures the temptation to the end and never gives in is the one who really feels the full power of that temptation. Just because he didn't give in doesn't mean he didn't feel the power. He felt the power and never gave in and he endured it to the uttermost you want a dumb illustration how many want a dumb illustration of that a donut illustration so you and me we've packed it actually Debbie and I've done we're doing this this month no sugar I shouldn't tell you this <laughs> but she's sick She's been really bad, cold, in bed, day quill, night quill, for Friday, Saturday, no, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, sick. She was awake like two hours a day maximum total on those three days. And this morning she said she'd feel a little better. But last night, she looked so miserable, and I said to her, do you want me to go buy us some donuts? And I did. And we ate them. Two each. So this is a dumb donut illustration about temptation. So so suppose you're not supposed to have donuts this month, but they sit a donut right in front of you. It's it's a Boston cream-filled... And we're going to time how long you last. Stare at that donut, but don't eat it. 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 3 minutes, 5 minutes. You grab it and go... But Pastor Stan is there, and he stares at that donut. We all go to bed, and we wake up in the next morning. He's still staring at that donut. Three months later, he's staring at that donut. Five and a half years later, he's staring. Who really felt the temptation? You're getting it, right? The one who endures and does not give in is the one who really feels the temptation. Christ has felt temptation like you have no idea, like you've never felt Why did he have to come incarnate? He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. And Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let's go to Hebrews 2.18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he suffered. It wasn't easy. He suffered. It was real temptation. He suffered. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Thank God Christ came incarnate. There was, a, there was a, an ad in the Super Bowl called, He Gets Me. I'm not a big fan whole wrong approach to evangelism in my mind. But this passage says, he gets me in this way. He understands my weakness. He understands the power of temptation because he himself has experienced it. Bless God for the incarnation. And because of that, he is a merciful and a faithful high priest. Hebrews 4.16, peeking ahead. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. To the what? The throne of Grace, the throne of God, to the child of God, is always a throne of grace. In Christ, you never get wrath when you go there. You never get God saying, well, this is the third time, I'm done with you. No, it's always the throne of grace, 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 and mercy to help in your time of need and with confidence. With confidence, therefore, we can draw near. Not cowering, oh no, what's he gonna do to me? No, I'm in Christ, there's grace. There's mercy, there's pardon. There's exactly what fallen humans need. So that's why Christ had to come incarnate. Those are, there are more reasons, but these are the ones given to us in our text today. In short, he came in the flesh to save sinners. Who were themselves in the flesh. He had to become human to stand in our stead. And he'll receive you if you will turn to him and call upon his saving name. Now, three three matters of conclusion. Number one, I just want to point out, you're getting this, but I want to say it. The full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ are important, foundational, biblical doctrines. Amen? So there are doctrines in the word of God that we would call Core doctrines, all the Orthodox down through all of time, have held to those core doctrines. Battles have been fought already and settled over those core doctrines. And this is certainly on the list, Christ's deity and his humanity. Because they get very close to the cross and very close to salvation. Lose his deity, you lose your salvation. Lose his humanity, you lose your salvation. He had to come as God-man. So this is core doctrine. It ought to be sounded. It ought to be taught. You ought to be strong in it. We don't want to do with this like what some, some pastors are. Right, you're going to get crotchety, Steve, here. Man. But I'm not crotchety. It's just the truth. You don't, we don't want to do with this what some pastors do where, like, there are doctrines that aren't unpopular. There's doctrines that sinners don't get. So we don't preach any of them. So they can come to Christ without all the offenses. But the Christ they come to is not the Christ of the Bible. The salvation they receive is not the salvation of Sinners by the shed blood of Christ. No, we want to hold fast to, and we want to proclaim, and we want to glory in the the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Important, foundational biblical doctrines. When the writer of Hebrews, by the way, a lot of scholars say we can't prove this. I don't know if I should believe them or not. But a lot of really good scholars say that the book of Hebrews is actually sermons taken down. He preached this, so. If that's true, just think about that. So what should preaching be like? Well, it should be like the book of Hebrews. Hmm. Sila, Preaching should be like the book of Hebrews. Very doctrinal, very intellectually engaging, quoting lots of scripture, explaining the things from the text, the scriptures, and not afraid to put out doctrines that they were grumbling about that weren't popular. They're grumbling. The church today says, well, where we move the part you're grumbling about? We won't talk about it. We'll hide it. That's not what the author of Hebrews did. He said, you're grumbling about his deity. There's deity. You're grumbling about his humanity. There's his humanity. Stop your grumbling. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Second thing by way of closing, the incarnation of Jesus is something we rejoice over. Amen. Like we're not complaining about it. Don't be complaining about it. We rejoice over it. Thank God for Christmas. We love thinking about our God and Savior coming in the flesh. And a third thing, and furthermore, we should live like people who have been freed from the fear of death. Do you live like a person who has been freed from the fear of death? I'm not saying that means you ought to go out and skydive tomorrow. I'm not saying that means go ahead, buy a Ducati, do 157 on it. No fear, wahoo. Yeah, somebody says. I'm not saying you'd be happy about brain cancer. But we should live like people who are not afraid of what's on the other side of death. We're rather joyful about it. We're excited about it. We can't wait for it. We're thankful for it. It's gain. So this is why Christ came. This is reasons for his incarnation. Oh, may you be found in Christ at the last day. Amen. Bow with me, please. Father, thank you for this time in your holy word. And we pray that the spirit of God would be present today to draw sinners to the cross. We pray that in this assembly, men and women and boys and girls would even now bow their knees to the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. Call upon his saving name. Receive the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And oh Lord, perhaps there are people in our assembly like there were in the assemblies of the Hebrews who are thinking about, who are fixing to, who are starting to walk back from Jesus Christ. And, oh Father, we pray that You would take a hold of them in Your sovereign power today, and draw them all the way to the Savior, that they may believe and love and wonder and never turn back. Lord Jesus, we who follow You, thank You that You're a merciful and faithful High Priest. We fail You; we commit sins of commission and omission. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We wound our own consciences. And we do it again and again. Oh, we're so thankful that yours is a throne of grace. And we always obtain mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing the grace of God to us. It is in your name that we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.